The house I grew up in was right next to a set of busy railroad tracks. You know, from my bedroom window, I could watch the trains just roll by. And you know, I found it fun. You know, the rest of my family, they ain't, you know, they ain't like it too much. You know, mama always complaining and messed up her uh, reading. And uh, papa always, he just mad because, you know, he tired of the, being by the train, man. It ain't like he'd be doing nothing but sitting around fixing on stuff all day anyway. Stuff that ain't even broke. So I don't know why he cared anyway. But it was three types of trains. So that's how hard, I, st I studied them so hard, I started realizing the different kind of trains it was. They used to go down them tracks and still to this day. Now there was the long lumbering freight trains pulling boxcars and it was the flatbeds and it was the tankers. You know, which I try and count as they just, you know, chucked on by. Now then there was the fast moving commuter trains, you know, the Metropolitan Area Transit Authority, aka Matter, you know, or the M as you know some folk call it. And on uh, the Amtrak passenger trains and they're breezed by, you know, heading to and from the central station into the heart of the city. Now when most folks see trains, they just see big old machines rolling down. You know, these two little strips of steel. But me, you know, I saw trains as a as a symbol of freedom, man. You know, a way to get me up out the hood, man. Something that could take me, you know, just way further than I ever thought I'd go. So whenever I saw a train, I would imagine all the places it was going to and coming from. You know, now naturally my favorite toys is a little kid, you know, it was the Thomas, man, boy, Thomas the Train, man. I, oh, I forgot, I used to love Thomas the Train, man. You know, I ain't even, this ain't even no, the story, this is real. I used to, I really loved Thomas the Train and Gordon and Percy and Henry. Oh, man, I remember it was this one episode my auntie had uh, Thomas the Train DVD, uh, not DVD, I'm VHS, like, you know, this back in the day, man. And um, I used to go over her house and watch that little tape every, uh, man, I, I watched that tape so many times. And I remember all the trains was mad and scared because they had got this new train and the new train was black. And every time the black train came onto the screen, like the music, you know, the Thomas Train music, dun, 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 dun. but when the black train came on, the music would be like, duh. It was real. Music got real serious when the black train came on. And he'd be pushing people and stuff and knocking on, knocking the little cold cars over. Dang, I forgot about it. <laughs> okay, let me anyway, back, back to the uh, thing. You know, I love Thomas the Train, man. You know, I had all the characters, like I was saying, Thomas, Percy, Gordon, James, Toby, Daisy, I had all of them. Now, when I was 10, my grandparents bought me a Lionel train, you know, a line, <coughs> excuse me, a Lionel train set for my glow day. Now, to me, man, this was the bestest present I ever had, man. Like, it was just these two steam engines and four passenger cars. And there was even a small bottle of drops 
and you put that in the smokestack thing, and that'll make the train engine just, that thing be shooting smoke out, man. Like, it was crazy, man. And I just spent hours watching that train just running a circle, man, or over or whatever, pretending that it was real and that I was driving that thing through the forest and all that, passing the fields, across the mountains, through the little small towns. And I eventually developed, you know, other interests, you know, mainly girls. You know, I started, uh, you know, looking at them females after a while, man. But, you know, I still never lost my interest in trains, though. Now, when I got older, I applied for a job as an engineer trainee on, at uh, Matter. And I got that job, man. And for me, it was a dream come true, man. Like, it was perfect, man. After I took the required, like, classroom courses and exams and stuff, I soon found myself riding in the cab of that sleek diesel engine that pulled the commuter trains. Now, the way the trainee program was set up, they had you ride on the different lines of the system for a few months with a regular engineer. Now, I've been on one line for a few weeks, and then I'd be assigned to another line in order to be familiar with all the different routes and all that. Now, the M has eight routes, all numbered. The main line is, you know, line one, and all the branch lines, line two, line three, and so on. Now, me, I started up on line seven. The first few weeks before being moved to line eight. Now, line eight or the Cloventon line, as uh, it's sometimes called, is one of the longest branch lines of the system. Second only to line two, a.k.a. the Millerspoke line. Now, the first time I rode on line eight, uh, I was with a veteran engineer named Hank. Now, Hank had been with the company from the beginning when the old railroads decided they wanted out of the money losing commuter service and handling all their locomotives and rolling stock to metal. Now, we had the night hour service, which started at 7 p.m. and end at 5 in the morning. Now, we picked up our first passengers at Central Station, and soon we was up on our way to Cloverton. Now, as we were going down the tracks... Hank turned to me and said, you know, it's something that you should know if you're going to be working for this railroad, especially if they decide to put you here on line eight once they make you an official engineer. Now, when he said this, I got creeped out because, uh, you know, I told y'all, y'all know I love trains. And I remember back from when I was little, it was this episode of Hey Arnold. Now, you know, most of y'all probably all the 90 babies know what Hey Arnold is. Hey Arnold, the show with the boy with the football-shaped head. It was an episode where they was, um, where Gerald had told them a legend of this old train. And, um, and whenever, like, a certain night of the year or whatever, this train had come through and the engineer was crazy and he drove the train off the tracks and he was missing an arm and stuff. Man, I remember seeing that as a little kid, boy. Whenever that episode come on, I sit there and watch that mug and be scared for like two, three weeks straight, man. Me and my little brother be terrified of that dang episode. Man, I still, you know, I still remember that to this day, man. So, I'm like, I hope he ain't finna tell me 
some kind of crazy ghost train story, man. And of course, you know, I looked at him and said, oh, no, you know, I'm just playing it cool. I said, well, what, what, what I need to know? So Hank paused a minute to blow the horn for uh, when we got to a crossing. Then he said, they're lying and haunted. Now, I was like, okay, of course, haunted. How the line haunted? Hank looked at me and said, well, it supposedly started with a curse. Back in the late 1800s, when one of them old railroad companies were building the line. The company built the line across the edge of an old farm that belonged to a man named Ezra Gray. And of course, without his permission. Now, Ezra demanded that the railroad remove the tracks from his property and relay them somewhere else. But the railroad refused. Now, due to uh, doing so, you know, it would cost too much time and money. Now, Mr. Gray did try to sue the railroad, but he was unsuccessful. You see, railroads were quite powerful back in them days. And the railroad had a lot of politicians and judges up in their pocket. Then to add insult to injury, Ezra not only had to pay the cost of court, but had to pay the railroad as well for the money they spent on the court case. Now, of course, this bankrupted old Ezra, and he was forced to sell the farm, minus the small patch of land the tracks were built on. And Ezra Gray vowed to get even one way or another. Now, when the line later opened up, Ezra stood on the tracks in front of the first train out of there. The engineer tried to stop in time, but Ezra was hit anyway. Now, before he died, Ezra cursed the line, saying that he would bring only death and sorrow. And ever since then, there have been a lot of mishaps and a lot of accidents on these tracks. And many people have lost their lives. Now, I believe that some of those who died haunt the different spots and a few of the trains that crashed over the years come back as ghost trains still rolling along these very here rails now i looked at hank as he blew the horn for another crossing now you know i'm sitting here soaking up every line of this man have you ever seen a ghost on this line i asked plenty on he said I seen everything from headless training to phantom lights to ghost trains. Now, <laughs> I, be I believed him. I believed him 100%. <laughs> I ain't going to lie to you. Now, we eventually came to a curve in the tracks. And when we came out of it, I saw something that made my blood just freeze up in my veins. So, Now, coming at us was the headlights of another train now I'm like hey man for for God's sake man put the dang brakes on man don't you see the other train coming our way I'm just hollering man now Hank was like yeah I see it don't worry we be fine I looked at Hank and was like is you crazy for we about to die Hank just pointed out straight ahead and said no Hank get a good look there at that train I did, and I saw not only did the oncoming engine had the shape of one of them older type diesels, you know, like you see in the photos and old cowboy movies and shows and old stuff from the 50s and 60s, but it seemed to be like see-through, man. Almost like a shadow with a headlight and lighted up cab windows. 
up. I started to say, but then that shadow train hit us, man. Well, you know, not hit us, but passed right through us. And our whole cab was surrounded by shadows and streaks of light. And it looked like, you know, as, as it looked to be like a passenger train just passed right through us, man. You know, I, I'm, I'm talking about I seen like little pale figures of people sitting in the seats and everything, man. Now, soon it was gone and the cab of our engine returned to normal. Bro, what was that? And Hank turned to me and said, that one of them ghost trains I was talking about. I said, man, what's the story with the train? Like, this just happened every night? Like, you just ride through this? And Hank just took a deep old breath, man. He said, well, it happened shortly after matter was established and took over them commuter rail lines. An evening inbound train had just crested the long grade we on right now when it lost control and ran all the way downhill before crashing and piling up on the curve at the bottom. Everybody on board was killed and because of that wreck was blamed on the aging equipment might have used back then. Heck, with only a few exceptions, most of the engine uh, engines that might have got from the old railroads were 25 to 30 years old and about 30% of the coaches used were even older. Not long afterwards, the ghosts of that train started making appearances along that, you know, this here stretch of track. Because one of them several ghost trains that haunted these rails. That's one of them right there. I looked him, you know, just, I'm, I'm just looking. I'm looking at him up and down, man. Then I looked out the front window of the engine. What about the people back in the cars? Do you think they saw what we just saw? And Hank just shrugged his shoulders and said, probably. But I'm sure most of them are used to it. So I wouldn't really worry too much about it. Our conductor is probably taking care of things right now. We continued on to Cloverton and, and uh, got in on time. We made runs back and forth all night. Several times I saw some of the, uh, of the scary things that Hank told me about. But I was relieved when we finally tied up in the yard, leaving the coaches on one of the side tracks and put the engine in the roundhouse. I was glad this day was over, boy. The next few nights, however, they were just pure hell, man. Every night run I had, at least a few creepy encounters along line eight. You know, all of them with Hank who would just shrug them off just as if it was nothing, man. But Hank was making that big money, so... I guess he said, if I got to see a couple ghosts, that ain't nothing compared to this check I'm cashing, man. But I guess, you know, 40 years and ain't none of them hurt him, so I guess you get used to anything, man. Now, after a few days, I was put on the day runs, which was a relief to me because I ain't have to worry about seeing no ghost trains or headless train men again and stuff. And I eventually became a regular engineer and I was put up on a main line run. And now I'm pretty, you know, content, man. But if the big wigs uh, for the M ever decide to put me on that line eight, you know, you know night hour service, I ain't gonna lie to you, man. I might have to, uh, <laughs> I might have to, 
you know, move, man, go get me, go to that big city and get me one of them jobs driving for the subway, so I ain't gonna lie to you. Have you ever thought about what makes a place haunted? It's the walls. You know, the very wood that makes up the structure and the frame that permeate the tragedies that happened there before you. You know, the loss of whatever it is that was in these walls, it then followed me and haunted me for years. You know, I barely can remember a time before the scratches. You know, I first noticed them coming up on my back. You know, done in threes. Now, you know when something done in threes, you know, it's said to be a sign of the demonic mocking the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This was demonic for sure. Now, when taking into consideration the combination of dreams I've had of this dark-haired woman slipping into my bed and me waking up to a burning, piercing sensation of her burying her nails in my back, it's made me just believe that this thing that's haunting me is out to kill me, man. Not just, you know, just torture me like she has for years, but now she finally ready to move in for the kill and finish me off for good. You know, just imagine you, you come home from a long day at work or school, whatever, and you literally just jump in the bed, you know, don't even take your clothes off, just jump right up in the bed, man. And the burdens of the day just just lift it off your shoulders and you fall up on the bed and you just get ready to rest now imagine doing that but to your to your surprise you know to your to your surprise that there's somebody in the bed just waiting on you and you know that can't be possible because you live alone so you jump up out the bed, you know, just moving like crazy, stripping the covers back, only to find the print that she been laying on your bed, and you can see right where she was. Now you can brush this off as a delusion and crawl back in the bed. And you know, you can go ahead and just write it off as, you know, you just tired and you just tripping. But once you finally calm down and lay it on down, you can feel those icy, frail fingertips graze right across your neck. Now me, I was a master thief up in, the, in uh, LA. Like I'd break in 
And I done robbed many, many people homes, jewelry stores, all that, man. But, you know, I don't really do that anymore. Like, I'm talking about back in the day now, sorry. You know, I done, I done, I done changed, man. I done, I done done some changing. Now, let me explain to you now before you get to judging. I was raised by my Uncle Jerome from the age of seven. You know, after my mama died from a cocaine overdose. Now, uh, I never knew who my dad was. Now, old Uncle Rome was one of my only known relatives and my mama's older brother. Now, he had been married once and even had, you know, two kids and all that. But his wife left him and took their son and daughter with her, you know, with her. And, uh, you know, back when they was just, uh, man, shoot, I was just a baby back then, man. So, I ain't never really get to meet them. And um, now Uncle Rome, and she left him because he was just a shady character. You know, <laughs> like he just, Rome never too, told the truth, man. He always was lying. And I think the lie that really just, you know, this according to him, but he be lying so much. I don't even know if he telling the truth or not. But according to him, the, the lie that just sent it all over the edge was one day he came home with some new gold teethers in his mouth. And she was like, boy, where you get them teethers from? <laughs> and he was like, these my tooth. I've been here at this. This my toothies. I had the tooth. <laughs> so apparently he stole somebody gold teeth and put it in his mouth. Man. And after that, she just get, got tired of the lying and the steving and stuff. So she got up out of them. So my uncle just legit had his own life of crime, man. And his specialty now was robbing folk and selling the stolen items. You know, they call it fencing. That's the that's the term they use on the cop shows and stuff or whatever. You know, but Uncle, he take it down to the pawn shop, man. He had a nice little deal in there and they ain't asked for ID. He just take it down to the pawn shop and get, you know, get rid of it. And if it was too hot for the pawn shop, he just sell it on the corner. Now, growing up, he taught me all the tricks of the trade, man. Now, some of the things he taught me were, you know, like really the best thing was be quick, be smooth. You know, don't never rat on nobody. Don't never tell nobody. Don't talk to the 12. I don't care what they do. Don't say nothing to 12. No matter. They put, they tell you, you know, you're facing some time. Just tell them you do your time. You know, that's it. And always, you know, case a joint. You know, that means just check the place out and make the plan based on what you already done seen. And, of course, leave no evidence. You know, make sure you got gloves on, masks, you know, watch out for dropping hairs and all that stuff, you know. And most importantly, don't get caught. No matter what you do, don't get caught, so. Now, I committed my first crime with him and I think I was about 16 at the time. And we robbed the house of some rich folks out in Malibu. Now, uh, we really from the South. But, uh, you know, he, uh, he he decided to go out to L.A. Because ain't nobody know him. And he know folk out there had a lot of money, man. So, to him, it was like the land of opportunity, man. Now, the family had gone on vacation somewhere. And we made off, you know, a nice little... Nice little lick, man. You know, we made about 20 grand off that, man. Yeah, boy. Ooh, we, we did. Man, we made about a good 20 stacks up off that. And, you know, me and Unc split that jump right down the middle, man. He always took care of me, man. 
And we had some good times. You know, I had some real good times with Unc, man. Going around, he had this old midnight blue Chevy van, man. Creeper van. But it was nice, though. Like, it... You know, it was a, what you call it, not a, the conversion, he had the conversion van, man, with the, had the big captain chairs in it and, and TVs and stuff, but he kept it creepy, though, he kept the windows blacked out, so couldn't nobody see inside that mug, and when we got ready to do a job, you know, he'd take the um, seats and stuff out and all that, and we'd just ride through, staking the places out, we was gonna rob and all that, and man, heck, he even helped me get, you know, Helped me get my first uh, couple of women, man. You know, he taught me how to run game up on the girls and stuff back when I was about, you know, 16, 17, man. But, sadly, it all came to an end when I was about 19, man. Uncle Rome and I were at a dinner and just quietly discussing a plan for this job up in Burbank when Uncle just suddenly grabbed on his chest and he fell up out the booth and just fell dead on the floor from a heart attack. Just in a blink of the eye, man, I'm just all alone again, man. Just died up in a restaurant, and I got to tell you, man, it hurt, man. And for a while up after the funeral, you know, I just moped around, you know. We had this little three-bedroom ranch, man. I called that your home for 12 years, man, but... I just walked around just depressed, man. But, you know, eventually I pulled myself together and uh, I got, you know, busy doing my uncle business, man. <laughs> I, you know, passed on the family business to me, man. So I ain't really know how to do nothing else. I wasn't finna go get no job at no dang uh, Burger King or nothing. And I ain't finna go do that and make minimum wage suit. I'd rather go out and steal. So I ain't gonna lie to you, man. So a few years went by. I got pretty good at robbing places, man. You know, I always follow Uncle advice. And uh, I made a nice little, man, you know, a nice little bankroll, man. But the thing about that money, man, it ain't never enough, man. And I'm always looking for the next big move, man. Next big score. And the next big score came in a news report, and it went something like this. Famous old-time Hollywood director J. Montgomery Gibbs passed away in his Bel Air home yesterday at the ripe old age of 110. J. M. Gibbs started out as an assistant director for Franz Schultz, another well-known director at Monarch Picture Studios at the age of 21. In 1934, Gibbs, just 24 years old, got his start when Schultz offered him a, uh, suffered a stroke in the middle of shooting the horror film Curse of the Cat Creature. Gibbs took the director's seat and finished the film himself, on time and just under budget. The movie was a big screen success, and it became clear that Franz Schultz, Schultz would, uh, wouldn't be able to return. Gibbs was promoted to director and directed his first official film in 1935. It was titled The Thing from the Grave, which won several Academy Awards. Although J.M. Gibbs directed a few films outside of the horror genre throughout the rest of the 30s, his main draw was the horror films that he wrote and directed himself. Officially settling on horror and suspense films in 1940, kicking off with The Vampirous, which introduced Hollywood starlet Madeline Chalmers into the title role. Many of Hollywood's greatest stars either starred in or got that big break in Gibbs' films. 
J. Montgomery's last film was the 1989 horror classic Blood Moon, which starred Bruce Campbell, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Sidney Poitier, as well as appearing uh, appearances by a young Ben Stiller. The spokesperson for the Gibbs estate uh, stated this morning that funeral arrangements are being made and details will soon follow. Despite being divorced three times, J.M. Gibbs left behind an estate that included original posters and other memorabilia from the films worth over $400 million. He is survived by two sons, five grandchildren, and eight great-grandchildren. Now, when I heard all that, only two things went off in my mind. One was, man, that guy, old boy, 110, that's a long time to be alive, boy. And the second thing was, man, JM must got a lot of valuable stuff just laying around, man. With a van load of stuff, man, I could probably retire and live a lap of luxury in a French Riviera. In a French, how you say it, French Riviera. <laughs> Ooh, I can live good off of that. I go get me some Versace. Soon. I remember, man, one time I had on some Versace, and that girl gonna come hate talking about you can't even spell Versace. I said, Yes, I can. F O Sachi. <laughs> I'm gonna be looking good, man. I ain't worried about none of that stuff they talking about. So I Googled the address, man, and I went and took a little drive by in my Cadillac, man. Now, one thing my uncle taught me about casing a place is to use a different vehicle than the one that you plan to use when you do a job. You know, Unc, man, he bought a brand new Cadillac like shortly after the last little job we did. So, it's a lot of sentimental value in it, man. So, I drove by the mansion just to get a little feel for the place. Nice Spanish colonial revival mansion. Surrounded by a fence about seven, eight feet high. You know, I ain't see no camera or security guards. But I learned there was a caretaker there that watched over the place during the day, but left around 10 at night after locking up. So I made a plan, and my plan was simple. You know, I just posed as a guy from the auction house so the caretaker would let me in. I had a friend of mine that could print up fake documents that looked legit, and a week later I made my way to the Gibbs mansion, you know, just around about 9.30. I pulled up in the van and the caretaker was getting ready to leave. May I help you? He asked. Yeah, some with the Pacific Auction House. And, you know, I came. I'm just coming. I'm I'm smooth with it now, you know. I said, I'm here to pick up a few things. I said, and I showed him the paperwork while I said it. He looked at me kind of funny and said, I was told that somebody from the auction house was coming tomorrow afternoon. And he said, hey, I'm... I'm just here for the small stuff. The guys coming tomorrow, they be getting all the big stuff. You know, I don't want to hurt my hurt my back or anything. I just came out to get a couple of little smaller things that I can fit with me now. Caretaker looked at my paperwork again and handed it back to me. Uh, look, man, go on in. There's a spare key under the mat. And whatever you do, please just take what's been tagged. Mr. Gibbs was... um. Very protective of certain possessions of his, man. I said, hey, man, don't worry. I'm a professional. Now, if it's not tagged, I'll just leave it. The caretaker nodded and let me in. 
but he got up in his um right before he got up in his pickup truck he reminded me to padlock the gate i told him i would and i drove on in now when i got in i gotta admit this place was fancy bro like, I was in a wood-paneled hall with marble floors and Queen Anne chandelier. Probably worth a small little fortune right there by itself. And in front of me was a grand staircase, and to my left and right were rooms on each side, man. And I went to the one on the right, and I saw that it was full of all the movie posters and frames and stuff. Yeah. While I shined my flashlight around, I saw posters of the films mentioned in the news reports, and I seen some other ones that won. Now, some of these were titles as She-Wolf, The Eyes, The Mummy's Ghost, House of the Dead, The Banshee of Bloodmore Castle, and, and The Ripper, just to name a few. I remember being just impressed with the artwork on the posters. You know, it ain't like the stuff you've seen in the theaters today. They were old hand-drawn, you know, nothing fancy, just pictures of monsters, you know, too, and the other characters in the movie done in some kind of ink or painting a solid color background. But these were like vintage originals, though, man, not just cheap copies they make for collectors. Like, we talking about the real deal Holyfield right here. So I had to remind myself while I was there, so I started, um, you know, taking the frame posters down and stocked them on the float. I made several trips to and from the van, and after I put the last posters in the back, I came back and took some other random valuable items from downstairs and then went, you know, upstairs to see what I could take before I headed out. The first room I came to on the second floor was at the top of the stairs. I opened the door and saw, you know, like, I'm like, bro, this got to be the master bedroom. This must have been what I get, like the Gibbs guy must have died, man. He had to die right here. This is the perfect room to die here, man. I decided not to spend too much time in there because the room really gave me the creeps, man. All that old creepy looking furniture and stuff all up in there. And after all, the man probably did just die up in here. But I saw a ring. It looked like a nice wedding ring, man. The second one was an emerald ring with small diamonds surrounding the emerald. And the other was a silver ring with a sinister-looking skull, man. It had eyes like made out of rubies, man. Now, I was about to enter the room next. Uh, enter the next room through the connecting door. When I seen it open up with a creak. Like, you know, I know old creaky doors be doing. So I stood there frozen in fear, you know, when I saw what was standing there. It was a tall lady, man. Hourglass figure, though. One time her body was boom, 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 plop, 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 plop. I mean, she had some bright white skin, man. And she had this long black dress on, black hair with lips that were like red blood man and the worst part was she like it, it was, the skin was creepy cause I like I ain't never seen nobody this pale but then she parted her lips and I seen this chick had fangs man and I recognized her right then it was the lady from the poster in the movie The Vampirist or Vampirist however you say that junk only 
Like she just wasn't painted in lines, but real flesh and bone, man. So now I screamed and ran back into the hallway. And when I looked to my right, I saw, man, look. Okay, now I know y'all gonna think this junk sound crazy. But I seen the actual dang mummy monster just shuffling at me, man. And he had the werewolf from the she from the she wolf thing in the in the pale corpse from the from the zombie or the thing from the grave. And then I looked to the left and I seen a bunch of dang monsters and ghosts and ghouls all from the different movies and stuff. Now I started freaking out, man. I tried to run down the stairs and get up out the front door. But I seen just even more monsters and ghosts and stuff down now. All the stuff from the posters just came alive, man. Like that thing ignited a museum movie, but it's a dang horror creepy museum. You know, I said, this is it, bro. I'm finna die. I started talking to Jesus, man. Lord, please, you just let me out of this one this one time, G. Please, Lord. Oh, my God, Lord, just let me out of this this one time. I thought I was done for, man. And I heard the voice of an old man shout, hold it. Now, I opened my eyes, and there I saw what I knew must have been J.M. Gibbs himself, man. I mean, who else could it be? Like, I'm like, Gibbs? That's you, big bro? I said... That gotta be you, right? And he looked at me and nodded and he said, the one and only. He then moved closer and said, I see you got my friends, <laughs> my children, as it were. I see you met them, huh? I looked at him and said, aren't you, uh, you know, ain't you, uh, yeah, he said, he cut me off and said, what, dead? <laughs> I am dead. And quite frankly, I should have died 30 years ago, but Sometimes the reaper can be a bit slow. With that, he let out a raspy laugh. <laughs> I then asked, man, how are these ghosts and monsters real, man? And he said, well, you know, despite the nature of my job, I was never much of a people person. Heck, I went through three marriages before I even decided that, you know, I just wasn't cut out to be a husband or father, you know. It was my third marriage. It ended in 54, and I decided I should. I just enjoyed being around my creations, my babies, man. But I, you know, I didn't know how to bring them to life without them just being actors in costumes. But that changed in 56 when I filmed in a movie, that movie Voodoo in Louisiana. When I was there, I met a real voodoo priestess who taught me a spell to bring my creations to life. And all I had to do was just picture whatever monster or ghoul or ghost or demon I was creating. And I created the creature in my head. And all I had to do was just say a few magic words and... <laughs> Ta-da! Nothing about this... He pointed out him, dang, that really just peed on myself. And I'm in this old mansion just surrounded by monsters, ghosts, and ghouls. And I felt like, you know, I was backstage on the episode of Scooby-Doo or something, man. You know, I thought this junk only existed in stories or movies or creepypastas or whatever. And, um, you know, I'm talking to the ghost of a 110-year-old crusty old man. 
who should be in the ground, you know, turning into dust right now. He up here talking to me. Okay, man. Um, what you gonna do to me, man? Just tell me, man. Just, just get over and tell me what you gonna do. He said, "Well, that depends. I could have them tell you apart, or I could, you know, have them let you live if, if." When he said that, if man, you know, he spit all over me. You know how old folks be spitting when they talk. You put all the stuff you took back where it belongs. So I said, look, man, I understand these your babies and you're 110 and you're a ghost and all that. But look, for real, for real, for real. Let's just, let's just hear me out. Just hear me out. Just let me keep half the, just, just a few of the posters and I bring some on. But look, just let me keep, all right, just one of the posters. What about that ring? Can I keep the ring? You know, can I just keep that and I bring all the rest of the stuff back? Look, man, come on. Uh, you know, let me keep a little something, you know, for my trouble. You know, <laughs> I went through a lot, you know, to get this thing, uh, to set this whole. Okay, all right, all right, all right. I'll get you your stuff. All right, okay, okay, all right, okay. But for real, though, you ain't going to let me just keep one of them rings. And, like, what you going to do with it? You a ghost, so it's just going to go right through your finger, you know. Need to quit being greedy, man. Get to the needy. I want to give a special thanks to y'all who, you know, take money out your actual pocket and donate to this podcast. I thank you so much. Right now, I got three people who supporting the podcast. It's a blessing, man. I can't believe that people, you know, actually, it's just an honor that someone can, you know, put their money towards me telling scary stories. So I'm going to make sure that I keep it going. I'm going to keep giving y'all as many stories as I can, as fast as I can. And for the three of y'all who did that, you are my prayers. You know, I love you. I thank you. And, um, you know, anything you need, horror-wise, hit me up. I give you, you know, our story ideas. Whatever the case is, just let me know. And I'm happy to do it for y'all, man. Thank you. And if anybody else want to donate, you go to anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M slash hood horror. And right there, you can, um, it says support this podcast. And they got a couple of different options, like a one, five, and a $10 option. And any of them, I'll be happy with any of them, man. <laughs> I'll take all that money. I don't care if it's pennies or what. Appreciate you, man. Thank y'all. Love y'all.